Every knowledgeable person knows that when you have gold, you've protected your wealth. But what if the government one day wanted to confiscate your gold so they can gain total control, knowing that one day the smoke will clear and gold will be perfectly available, and that's happened all throughout history. So what you need to do is, in the interim, hide your gold. You can do that by burying it. You can go down about 12 inches, and that's all you're going to need to do. And we have a product that we call BarryYourGold.com, and what it does is it goes into a container. You lower it in the ground with a hole you've dug up to 12 inches. It's a 50-year warranty on the device. It only weighs 17 pounds to pull it out of the ground, and you can keep it for safekeeping. And I'll tell you, this is the way to hide your gold, not in false walls, but underground will be very, very difficult to detect. To find out more, go to BarryYourGold.com. The product is fully guaranteed with a money-back guarantee. Hey, thanks for staying with us through the intro. And we are in our guest segment here of the Common Sense Show, where we're freeing America one enslaved mind at a time, and of course, with your help. And we have uh, Jonathan Hollerman with us. And uh, this is going to be a topic near and dear to my heart. And you've heard my broadcast partner, Doug Thornton, many times say in the last two years, uh, his biggest concern right now for America is grid down. And uh, I share that feeling. And I went through my history with uh, former Congressman Trent Franks, who did a wonderful job exposing this to the deaf ears of the Obama administration and the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, who would not react to his concerns, which ended up being very valid and proven. So we're going to really put this out here front and center. And I will tell you, some of this you might find to be very disturbing. That's kind of part and parcel for the times we're living in right now. So uh, I think the more you know, the better decisions you can make for your life. And in that spirit, uh, we're going to give you the straight, honest truth so you can make the best decisions. Uh, Jonathan is uh, the uh, uh, deputy director of the U.S. Task Force on National and Homeland Security. And this is what he performs uh, every day is about th- this situation with Grid Down. And we're going to explore the consequences here. And we'll also, before we leave, talk about my concern when we did the Grid X drills during the Obama administration, how he purposely let in the Chinese and the Russians to observe. And if you recall and you followed me for a long time, you know I had a fit about that, as did my congressman. And so we're going to talk about Chinese transformers and why we should be concerned but with this president, why we're not surprised. Jonathan, welcome to the show. First time appearance here. Really glad to have you. And my thanks to my friend and colleague, Sarah Westall, for referring you to me. Um, I listened to some of your interview with with Sarah. It was, uh, shall we say, eye-opening and dramatic. So uh, just give the audience just a little bit of a feel for your background, what you've done to kind of set up where we're going. Sure. Thanks for having me on, Dave. So you've already mentioned I'm the deputy director at the U.S. Task Force on National and Homeland Security. So that is a congressional advisory board that advises Congress on grid security matters. And our mission is to educate the government and the American people on the the various threats to grid down uh, threats that face our country and as well as provide solutions, uh, to prevent it. Uh, on top of that, I'm also the CEO and president of Grid Down Consulting. I'm a former United States Air Force SEER instructor. SEER stands for Survival, Evasion, Resistance, Escape. 
I sit on the board of directors at Impact America, and I'm also a participating member of the Electromagnetic Defense Task Force, which I'm sure we'll probably get into at some point. That was a three-day wargaming event down at LeMay Wargaming Institute, uh, Max Air Force Base, where uh, there's a joint services effort. All the military was there. All your alphabet agencies were there. And we basically wargamed a grid-down event, and that was a very eye-opening experience for me. Yeah, I can imagine. Um I'd like to ask you just a general question, something that comes up a lot on my show when I talk about this. Do you think it's more likely we're going to see uh, a cyber attack to take the grid down, or will it be a devastating EMP attack? Sure. So there, there's four different threats that face our grid. Uh, the first one, and I'll, I'll do them from worst case scenario to, to the least case scenario. Uh, worst case scenario is a nuclear EMP, which is a nuclear weapon or super EMP that's detonated about 300 kilometers above, uh, the Earth's, uh, crust here where we live. And, uh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know anything happened, but it would destroy most electronics in this country. And most importantly, take down the electric grid. Uh, second would be a, a massive solar flare, uh, or CME. Mm-hmm. And those are, we're, probably about 75 years past due for another big one to hit earth. And that would also take down American electric grid, similar to the, uh, the, the last big one we had was in 1859 called the Carrington event. Right. Uh, third on that list would be cyber cyber threat. Uh, we know Russia and China have infiltrated our critical infrastructure, including the electric grid. Uh, they have not activated those resources because mutually assured destruction at this point because we're not at war with them and our country buys all their stuff so uh, they're not trying to destroy the global economy Uh, as long as we're buying their stuff they're going to be perfectly happy to keep our lights on and our amazon and ebay systems running Hmm. so uh, in the case of a war that has a different uh those things can change, right? And then the last would be a physical attack against the electric grid, similar to the Metcalf substation attack here about seven or eight years ago. And I I know you covered that as well. Uh, Our our security for our electric grid in general is self-regulated security by the electric utilities. There's no federal oversight. So that's a very real risk. If you're asking what's most likely, uh, all four are likely at some point in time, and I would say in our lifetime, uh, the, so one of these four is going to probably happen. Uh, so that you asked me what's more likely, cyber or, or, or EMP. Um, it just depends on the nature of war. That's the future of warfare. And that's one of the things a lot of Americans don't really understand. They're kind of seeing it now in Ukraine. They're kind of seeing it in these these recent wars where future technology is being used to fight on the battlefield. Uh, uh, General Quast mentioned that the, fu- the World War III is going to be fought in the electromagnetic spectrum. It's going to be fought in cyberspace. It's going to be fought uh, in with electronic warfare more so than it's going to be fought with soldiers. America is still trying to build the fastest plane, the biggest aircraft carrier, uh, the most secret submarine. And, and those are all, that's all good and well, but many of our enemies are really focusing on future technology. They're taking steps into AI weaponry and, and different things like super EMP weapon technology uh, that we're, as far as we know, uh, we, we're not, putting as much money into that side of the warfare. So it just depends on how the war kicks off. I believe a cyber attack will come 
before an EMP attack. Uh, and But I, as Dr. Peter Pry, the patriarch of our uh, foundation here, of our organization, once stated, it's probably going to be both at the same time. They'll probably lead with a cyber attack followed up by EMP. Interesting question, because I was going to ask you which one that you thought was more likely. But uh, do you think the EMP attack, uh, I understand it can be localized, too, that there are weapons that can bring down planes on aircraft, uh, our aircraft down on takeoff. I'm aware of an incident that happened, oh, gosh, nine, ten years ago at the uh, Arizona border near Douglas, Arizona. And I had that information from people from Luke Air Force Base that were willing to talk to me about it off the record. Um, and they, they believed it was a portable and you just aim it and fire it. It's, it has an EMP effect on a general area and you can project it to a certain altitude. And I believe it was developed in North Korea, but I think the Chinese had the hand in it. So I know about the partial. Do you think they'll do partial, um, EMP attacks or do you think at one point in time it'll be general? And I'll tell you why I'd be surprised if you say general, because the Chinese want to occupy this country for its resources. Wouldn't that be counterproductive? Okay, so there's about three questions in there. First, uh, directed, <laughs> yeah. ener- directed energy weapons. Uh, so it d- depends on the situation, if we're talking about terrorist organization, if we're talking about a nation state. So nation states may use directed energy weapons. Uh, they can take down buildings. They can take down, like you said, planes, uh, aircraft carriers. However, you have to be kind of at location. Or, uh, there's... There's evidence left behind. Let's put that out there. So if a nation okay. state used a weapon like that uh, through the aftermath, we would d- probably discover exactly who did it. That's the great thing about no, I shouldn't, but that's the scary thing about a nuclear EMP. Uh, a lot of people think that the only way to launch a nuclear EMP is intercontinental ballistic missiles. We're going to see it coming from around, you know, over the North Pole. We're going to have three or four minutes to respond. That's not likely how it's going to happen. Uh, Iran has tested EMP delivery. Uh, devices called K Club missile launcher. You can, you know, YouTube that and find out what, what that's all about. But they've, they've launched, uh, EMP test rockets off of a cargo container. Uh, we, this could be launched through a submarine. This could be launched from an atmospheric balloon, uh, in this country. So there are multiple ways to, to set off a, an EMP. And so you're asking about, Russia or, or China taking over after a yes, but I think that's I think that's a that's a long play. Uh, my it is, and this is my personal opinion. Uh, the 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 problem with I shouldn't say the problem with EMP is the fact that it, it does take a, a bit of time. The Congressional EMP Commission has warned Congress that within one year of an EMP or, or a, a nationwide grid down event, we would lose 90% of our population through starvation, disease, and societal collapse. Uh, no phones, no, no TV, no internet, no radios, no banking. Uh, and the big ones, no interstate trucking, no food, nothing. Everything stops where it's at. And I, I've been part of the wargaming operation on this. I can tell you there is no government plan on this. There is no FEMA plan. There is no military plan. There is absolutely zero plans to deal with the aftermath of a, a national collapse like this. So what it's just going to be a everything's going to basically fall apart really fast and it's going to get very deadly. The Chinese aren't going to want to step into the middle of that mess. I don't believe. I mean, uh, I forget. There's more guns than people in the United States. And I think after what Japan attacked, 
Pearl Harbor, you know, there was, there was discussion about t- coming, you know, trying to occupy part of the mainland. And, and I think I, I'm, I'm butchering this, but I think the general made a comment. There'd be a gun behind every tree. You know what I mean? Right. So, uh, we're, we're not ripe for the picking. And I know for, you know, many, many centuries, even millennia, uh, that's been war has been over natural resources in our global economy. I'm less convinced. Yeah. You know, I'm not a hundred percent convinced there is gold in Fort Knox. If there is gold in Fort Knox, um, I believe that, you know, you could see battalions, you know, come in by helicopter, clean that out. So they can come and pilfer our resources, you know, a month into this event or a couple of weeks into this event and not have to occupy the landmass of Americans that, you know, Texas, Texans, and, you know, we're, we're not going to sit well to blue hats or Chinese military forces marching into our country. So this is, again, this is my personal opinion. I'm probably on the outset of this. I don't really foresee as much of a, of a invasion in the sense of a taking over this country. I think the EMP weapon and the, the, the grid warfare is a way to win a war without firing a single bullet. So again, if we look at the war doctrine from Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, uh, basically any nuclear country at this point, first strike doctrine is EMP, is cyber and EMP. If you can take down a country's electric grid, they have, their military can't respond. They're completely blind. They're completely, they have no ability to respond or fight of war. So that is the future of warfare. If, if your listeners get nothing else, that is what World War Three will look like, will be the, one of the first steps is taking down each other's electric grid and watching the people starve and the militaries are in, in chaos. And again, I'd be happy to discuss more kind of sitting in the EDTF and some of the military response, you know, suggestions and things that we, we talked about. When you talk ED, EDTF, what do you mean by that? What does that stand for? It's called the Electromagnetic Defense Task Force. So okay. it was a wargaming operation uh, headed up by General Quast here a couple of years ago. And it, like I said, it was joint services. It was all your alphabet agencies. The There were electric utility executives, and there were experts in other fields that were brought in. And it was a three-day wargaming event on a national grid-down event. And what would be the response? The Nuclear Regulatory Commission was there. Uh, we can discuss that. Uh, DOE, uh, you know, it was, it was, but it was, <laughs> it was very eye opening because I assumed somewhere someone had a plan, right? There, there was some kind of plan, even a minimal plan. Uh, but as of right now, the United States military bases get 99% of their electricity from the civilian electric grid. They've warned Congress that if the national electric grid was taken down, uh, they would not be able to respond. They've only got 24 to 48 hours of backup diesel generation on their bases. Their, their food infrastructure on their bases comes on the base. Their, their food resupply, just like everywhere else in this country, trucks come on their base once or twice a week and to deliver food. They're going to run out of food within a week. Um, maybe two at the most. So they're in the same boat as everybody else. And they've warned Congress that if they lose the electric, electric grid or electricity through the civilian electric, grid they they have no ability to respond so these hollywood movies you see where there's you know box trucks rolling down passing out emery's that's never going to happen there's no backup plans for communications in the case of an emp the base commander can't pick up the phone line which runs through the civilian phone channels no sat phones work because low orbit satellites fall out of the sky uh no base commander has a, a file cabinet where he can 
pull and reach a file and say, oh, this is how I'm supposed to respond to this. It's going to be kind of every man for themselves as far as the military and the government goes. So it's it's kind of a it's kind of one of those situations where, like I said, a, a foreign enemy can can completely destroy our country without firing a single bullet. It's interesting. I, I would almost suspect that uh, out of base where they could maintain some presence for 48 hours and have food for a week. We at the Common Sense Show have a great TV show. We bring in a panel of experts and help people navigate the uncharted waters that we're living in. Because what once was coming is no longer coming. It's already here, and we're getting you the help so you can make better decisions for your future. You can find us at the TV, commercial-free, censorship-free, and we're getting five-star ratings on the world's major platforms. Again, check us out today at TV. Every knowledgeable person knows that when you have gold, you've protected your wealth. But what if the government one day wanted to confiscate your gold so they can gain total control, knowing that one day the smoke will clear and gold will be perfectly available, and that's happened all throughout history. So what you need to do is, in the interim, hide your gold. You can do that by burying it. You can go down about 12 inches, and that's all you're going to need to do. And we have a product that we call BarryYourGold.com, and what it does is it goes into a container. You lower it in the ground with a hole you've dug up to 12 inches. It's a 50-year warranty on the device. It only weighs 17 pounds to pull it out of the ground, and you can keep it for safekeeping. And I'll tell you, this is the way to hide your gold, not in false walls, but underground will be very, very difficult to detect. To find out more, go to BarryYourGold.com. The product is fully guaranteed with a money-back guarantee. Did you know that the World Economic Forum now, they in the last meeting they convened, they actually had a water board there with water experts, and they tell us our water is in danger and they have to take control of our water. Does that bother anybody? I'm sure it does. And I begin thinking right now about water safety. And we already know there's lead in the water, chemicals in the water. A lot of it's not safe to drink. But we have the answer for you. It's called the Alexa Pure Pro Water Filter. It's the best there is. And scientifically, they leave nothing to doubt as they publish their research at waterwithdave.com. And it's my choice for water filtration. Gravity powered. It reduces 206 contaminants. It targets heavy metals, fluoride, chlorine, and viruses. It is the best there is in the business. And you can read all the research on this simply by going to water with dave.com that's water with dave.com save eighty dollars for a short time they might plunder the civilian population have you given that any consideration i have um i'm not saying of all the military bases and all the reserve bases across this country that that's not feasible or, or that's not likely i'm sure somewhere someplace that's probably going to happen ha- because there's no the 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 ground troops are going to lose faith in their leadership because they're not going to be able to feed them all right i mean that that's one of the core things when you join the military they feed you right everybody knows that um if they stop feeding you and giving you clean water and no place to go to the bathroom other than you know in the bush behind your 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 dorm 
the 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 average trooper is going to lose faith in the the chain of command. And in my report, grid down death of a nation, the psychology and physiology of of human desperation, starvation, and, and living in a world without rule of law in this type of scenario. Um, I, I really point to the humanity aspect of this. So the military will have never seen anything like this. Uh, best way to explain this. Um, as society starts falling apart, the average troop's going to just be sitting there. They're not going to be getting food. They're not going to be getting water. Uh, the, the bases aren't set up with the septic systems, most of them, to continue to function. So you could have raw sewage backing up into the dorms, into the base housing. It's just not going to be a livable location. And those soldiers, one by one, are in small groups. I, I, I imagine the perimeter fence of most military bases is going to look like Swiss cheese within a week. I think it's going to be a slow leak of individuals leaving. And again, humanity is going to kick back in. Almost every soldier has a mom or a dad or a wife or a kid or a girlfriend somewhere. Every When they start seeing the cities burn on the edge of the horizon, they're going to go home to check in their loved ones and take care of their loved ones and protect them. So I, I kind of envision it more of a slow leak, and the leak's going to get bigger and faster and eventually just cease to exist. You know, there was an NBC show over a decade ago called Revolution, and they captured some of what you're talking about here when the grid went down. And I know it's I know it's Hollywood, but I I, heard, I saw some of the same things there. I saw some things I didn't think were realistic, but I thought they particularly did a good job what you're talking about. But they got into uh, also a Mad Max scenario. Uh, that seems like that would be pretty likely, especially in urban centers where people who aren't prepared don't have food, water, resources. They're going to prey upon each other. Yeah. So. The, the, this is kind of an important distinction to me, to make. Uh, again, I would highly recommend you can you can download my grid down definition report. It's 122 pages. It's on the psychology and phys- physiology of of humans as when you take away their food, their 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 infrastructure, and put them in this type of scenario. And you can download the report for free on my website griddownconsulting.com in the resource tab. You can get a paperback version of it on Amazon if you want. Uh, but it's very important to understand that. A lot of times, uh, and a lot of the experts will look at, oh, it's the city people that, you know, and that's true. They're, they're, they have limited resources and they're packed like sardines into a very tight space and their infrastructure is not going to work. Yes, the city is going to fall apart within two to three days. Uh, and it, it's just going to escalate from there. Cause again, this all comes down to food, right? But the country, I live very remote, and the country people are the same way. Every country person I know that we all garden, they all garden, uh, they all can, they all make fresh bread, but they still go to the store twice a week to get their supplies. Uh, they may know how to garden, but most of them go to the nursery uh, each spring to buy their tomato plants or their pepper plants. They may have some seeds. Uh, they don't have a root cellar. They don't have, you know, three or 4,000 canning jars. They don't understand. They've never lived off of what they've grown. So this idea that, and I'm not saying you're saying this, but I hear it a lot, you know, this idea about, you know, uh, it's going to be really bad for the city people. It's going to be really bad for the country people too, uh, because they don't have the life skills that prior generations had with living without electricity. What's the number one skill they should have? Is it canning? No, the problem with canning is it takes a lot of glass jars. You're going to spend a heck of a lot of money. So if you look at a can of uh, green beans or peas from the grocery store, like a pint size, uh, you're looking at 60 calories, right? Uh, so the amount of food you're going to have to store in a canning and, and glass jars is going to be a mountain 
of it. So you need to learn how to how our ancestors did that for millennia uh, with root cellaring and how to store different types of vegetables. What what types of vegetables to grow? Right, uh, potatoes, uh, artichoke, things things w- with a very high calorie count that that will last a a long time in storage. Right, uh, so. Uh, even if we go back to like the 18th, you know, the 1800s, the early 1800s, uh, our forefathers that crossed the Great Divide and, and the, the Plains people, they still had a general store they went to for salt, that they went to for for supplies. Uh, they, they, they had horse-drawn plows. All that stuff doesn't exist today. So the problem that you're running into is you have a very short window of time before things fall apart. And... You don't have enough time because a lot of people think, well, this is going to be like any other scenario. The, the, the brightest minds will get people together, even though the phones don't work. You have no way to get these people together, but even exactly. if you could brainstorm this situation or get people into the same location, it's such an overwhelming. We have 330 million Americans spread out across a very large landmass. The only way, the only way mass starvation does not exist in this world today is with electricity and interstate trucking, gas pumps, factory systems. I tell the story of, you know, when, when you go to the grocery store, there is, you, you, let's say you buy a can of beans. You, you swipe that across the cash register. Instantly a signal goes from that cash register to their store's distribution center saying, put another can of beans on the next truck. The distribution center computer then Four is another electronic signal to the canning facility. We need another can of beans on the next truck, the canning facility to the farm, so on and so forth. Our world, our food infrastructure is a bunch, is trillions, billions and trillions of electronic signals on a daily basis. If you stop that, everything stops exactly where it's at. Uh, when the food, when the grocery stores are empty, they're never getting resupplied. Uh, and it's just, it, there's, there's really no way to stop this without hardening the grid beforehand and having the ability to fix the electric grid quickly to prevent what you're calling Mad Max. And I would, you know, 100% agree that is what it will look like. Interesting. Um, let's go through, you said a 90% uh, death rate after one year, one year goes. Let's talk about uh, all cause mortality uh, beginning in the early stages. I would imagine airplanes falling from the sky if it was an EMP, stuff like that. So let's walk through uh, the causes of death that we'll see to get to that 90% figure. Okay. So, again, you mentioned plane crashes. That's a very small percentage. I think it's something like 20% of Americans at this point need some sort of pharmaceutical to 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 live with um so pharmacies are going to be closed there's they're going to be looted here probably within a couple days Mm -hmm. uh so those people are going to go away anybody that's on a ventilator anybody that's in a hospital so again hospitals have 24 to 48 hours sometimes as much as a week of backup diesel generation the the problem is is they probably haven't been emp tested if they have been you're relying on doctors and uh, nurses showing up for work when the world's falling apart around them at some point, justifiably so, they're going to go home, and take care of their, their wife and kids or their, be with their husband. Uh, same with police officers and firefighters. Again, uh, no phones, no internet, no 911. Uh, if you're talking about these large cities with, especially with an EMP, it's going to take out roughly 20 to 25% of the cars that are on the road. Uh, the, the traffic lights are going to come down. So it's just going to gridlock traffic in a lot of these big cities. So even if the police wanted to 
you know, go around and, and, and help people out, assuming their cars work. Uh, there's no kind of how are they going to get them back? How are they going? Their radios don't work. At some point within a couple of days, they're going to th- throw up their hands and, you know, there's really not much they can do. The judges probably aren't showing up. The court system's not functioning. The jails aren't functioning. They're going to basically throw up their hands and go home. Again, things are going to be falling apart quickly in the city to be with their loved ones or protect their loved ones. Firefighters, the same thing. The, the water pressure isn't going to be functioning. So the, the hydrants aren't going to be working. There's they, not that they could get their trucks to where they needed to be to put a fire out. Um, a lot of these old cities, like I lived for a bunch of years in Pittsburgh, you got a lot of old row houses built 150 years ago that are very flammable. I mean, and if it's in the winter, you're going to have people doing dumb things to stay warm, bringing their grill inside or, you know, leaving their gas stove on or that you're, if a fire breaks out in one of these old cities, you could lose entire neighborhoods because there's going to be no way to stop it. It's just going to grow and grow and grow. There's just, there's a hundred factors here that basically as the weeks progress and the, the biggest death factor here is food. Again, the Mm -hmm. only way we get the, the American people get fed is with all these billions and trillions of electronic signals and interstate trucking. So if there's mass rioting and looting happening around the country, gas pumps don't work. What trucker is going to drive cross country to deliver goods? Uh, Assuming they could even get through the traffic snarls around the cities. Uh, They're not going to, they're not going to drive across the country, leave their, their loved ones behind. uh, Not even sure if they can get home or resupply with fuel to even to get back. So interstate trucking shuts down. Once the grocery stores are emptied in three to four days, there's no more food showing up. Not just the big cities. I'm talking about the rural grocery stores too. There's no food ever showing up at these grocery stores and we rely on store-bought food as a nation to live. So I would envision over the course of the next one to two weeks, uh, people are going to eat every single thing that's in their house, their cabinet. Uh, some, some good examples of this, uh, historical books on this are Red Famine. Uh, there's, there's books on the, uh, the, the Holomador. You can look at how, no. what it was like in the Warsaw ghetto. Uh, uh, but Selko Begovic is a, is a more modern author that lived through the Armenian city that was cut off from resupply. Uh, there's tons of books on what starvation looked like. And the problem is the American people have never experienced it. If you need food in this country, you can show up to any church, any, you know, welfare office or, you know, food kitchen, soup kitchen, something like that. You, you, you can find food. People haven't experienced going a week, two weeks, three weeks without a single substantial meal. And that's the, the nature of my research. And that's the, the, the the book that I put out there and the report that I put out there that ended up becoming a number one bestseller in experimental psychology on Amazon um, was basically explaining how the American, I keep saying the American people, but it's any human. You take their food, their water, people are dying all around them. They're, they're in desperate situations. Their ability to process information goes down very, very fast. There, so a lot of people, and again, the answer to this with a lot of people is, oh, me and my, me and my neighbors, you know, I'm a prepper and I've got a whole bunch of food and water and supplies in my basement and I'm going to join forces with my cul-de-sac. We've seen hundreds of prepper fiction books written on this topic. And the problem is, is yes, that will work for a week, two weeks, maybe three weeks. But one, the person that put that food and water in their basement, 
they plan that for their family, likely. And if they bought a long-term food package, they probably only have about 30 or 40% of the food, the calories they think they do. So they probably don't even have the six months that they they think. They probably only have about two months. And now you're not just feeding your family. You've got, what, 20, 30, 40 other people on your cul-de-sac or whatever your group looks like that you're you're joining forces with. You can't expect them to... To, to join up with you, if you're the only one eating, you're going to have to share your food with them. You're not going to keep it secret. People are going to figure out you're the only one not getting skinny or moving their belt notches in, right? So you're going to have to share your food. You're gonna, All these groups are going to run out of food in very short order. And if we look at, again, Selko Bogovich, The Dark Secrets of SHTF Survival, right. I'd highly recommend everyone read that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he talks about how it broke down by, you know, family, like families, clans, and then it broke down street by street. And eventually the, each group got absorbed into a different group or got killed off to eventually you have a couple of warlords running around what and you that, either yeah. join them. If you want to have any hope of getting food or resources, you have to join them and check your conscience at the door and do what they tell you to do, or you're going to starve to death. And last thing, you know, I'm going for a minute, but just uh, there's so many people through normalcy bias that say, well, I would never do something evil. I would never do this or do that for food. And that's just not the case. Uh, History bears that out with cultures that were far more, you know, civilized i shouldn't say civilized but more ethically moral than our current culture is right um you have a you know your six-year-old daughter is laying on a couch gray and gaunt and her face is all sucked in because you mother or father haven't been able to get that child a single bite of food for the last two weeks what wouldn't you do to save your child what wouldn't you do to get food so i know this sounds like some conspiracy you know far-fetched science fiction TV show or something, but it's not. This is the reality. The Congressional EMP Commission has warned Congress on this topic, as have our organization and many other organizations, that if you do not... The Common Sense Show is proud to be able to bring you some very special deals for MyPillow. For example, they've got half off MyPillow bed sheets, more than half off their slippers, their sandals, their mattresses, their topper covers, women's lingerie. Now, they have extremely great products, as you all know. Ladies and gentlemen, right now go to MyPillow.com backslash Hodges. Use the coupon code Hodges to take advantage of these great opportunities. MyPillow.com backslash Hodges, coupon code Hodges. Harden the grid and fix this problem beforehand. That's the future this country faces. And unfortunately, our government is uh, owned by uh, lobbyists uh, at at the utilities. And again, we can talk more about that, but I'll, I'll, no, I'll chime in here. <laughs> no, I, I hear what you're saying. You're right. And and uh, it's like we're looking at everything else other than what we should be looking at. What about the uh, effect on nuclear power plants? A lot of us are concerned about potential meltdowns. And you have 120 or so nuclear power plants in North America. Will they become nuclear bombs? And what's the risk? Okay, so... Every single one of them is is at threat of meltdown. Uh, that's a little different than blowing up, uh, similar to what happened in Russia. Oh, what's the name of that? Um, the one that blew up in Russia back in the seventies. God, I'm having a senior moment. I'm um, having a brain. No, anyways, <laughs> uh, so we're looking at more of a Fukushima uh, type of situation. When I was at the Electromagnetic Defense Task Force, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission was there. 
Uh, and a uh, couple of huge oversights at that point in time, the last, uh, with the last event I was at, they had yet to have their backup generators EMP tested, which to me is the biggest oversight in history. I, I mean, if there's one thing we, if there's one set of generators we want to function after this type of event, we want the, the, the generators that run the pumps that keep the, the, the spent fuel rods and the cooling poles. And we want to keep that stuff from boiling over and going Fukushima, right? Uh, so I'm not sure if they've had that done to this point, but that was a huge oversight. At that point in time, they had the, the average nuclear facility has seven days of backup uh, fuel to run those generators. Hopefully they work. If they do work, they've got seven days of fuel. They had a civilian contract for resupply. Okay, we just talked about truckers not driving across the country yeah. with fuel trucks. Uh, it's just, it's not going to happen. Maybe, maybe they get their first resupply, but they're, they're not getting the next, right? Um, so I, I believe there's a very good chance of probably NATO stepping in because they don't want 99 nuclear facilities going to Fukushima and all that, you know, going around the north, the northern hemisphere to their country. So I hope that. NATO or somebody, you somebody steps in and keeps those uh, fuel resupply happening. I don't know. That's huge logistic situation with complete utter chaos in this country. So I don't know how they would make that, but I, hopefully they do. The other big oversight was, um, and this was you know one of the points kind of I brought up was like, what about what do you guys have there for for food and cots? And then this was the second year they came back and said, hey, you know we've got. I think 30 days worth of food, uh, for, for some of our employees. Cause that was the big point is like, you've got a, a minimum amount of button pushers and lever pullers that you have to keep at the facility to keep it running. You're going to have to have a security team there alongside them to protect them. So at, at, at the first EDTF meeting, they didn't have anything there. So we convinced them. So they got some cots and some food and some, some, some ways to get water. And so that was great. Uh, but my question was, is what about their immediate families, these button pushers and lever pullers and security guys? And they're like, well, you know, there's they have to they would have to get top secret clearances. And that that's just not a reality to to, to bring their families. Down. I was like, you guys don't understand I was like, no man, woman is going to stay at that location when they can see the fires on the edge of the horizon where they live, the town nearby. Right. And mass riding, looting a week, two weeks in, they're going to go home to their families and children, period. You're not going to keep them there. You have to have the ability to bring their immediate families into these locations. And they're like, well, that's just not. And I, so I was kind of like, well, fine, don't get them security clearances, but put the food and cots there and just have them do it after the fact. I said, because they're never going to stay there. And again, this is what I'm saying about the military. And a lot of these government organizations, they don't have the ability to think outside the box. They only have the ability to plan uh, through normalcy bias in the world that we're mm-hmm. in now. That's mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. That makes sense. That's sane. You can have conversations with people, and the conversations make sense. Nobody's out to kill you over a can of peaches that they think you might have, right? They just they can't separate themselves and, and look at what's coming down the pike. Any general that plans a battle on a battlefield wants to know every piece of information about that battlefield. He wants to know the the weather. I mean, what time of day are we going? What, what kind of weapons do they have? How many people do they have? What's the ground conditions like? 
before you make any kind of plan. And so the, a lot of these guys are making really, sh- and again, they're only making short term plans that they, they don't, they don't have the ability to think long term. Right. So, and, and that's one of the reasons I wrote my report in my white paper is to try and counteract that idea and that the, those kind of thought processes and say, Hey, you have to, you have to take yourself out of today's planning and put yourself in a different world that you probably don't even believe can exist, but it can exist. And you have to plan for that world, not today's world. Yeah. Trent Franks uh, said that the bureaucrats couldn't change their modality of thinking. And he's pretty much mm-hmm. echoing exactly what you said. And gosh, he said this what, 11, 12 years ago. Um, one of the things that I'm wondering, though, too, let, let, let's say we have a cyber attack. Certainly the long range implications aren't as serious for rebuild and repair uh, as an EMP. But will you not have, can a cyber attack in your estimation take down the different grids in America at the same time and have like an EMP sort of effect that electricity is not available to the masses? Yeah. Depends. So are we talking Russia or China, nation state actor? Yeah, I would say uh, so. I do. Yeah, or, or Iran. Yeah, yeah. so mm-hmm. I would say those two countries, possibly Iran. Iran, a lot of people don't give them credit, but they've got the fourth largest cyber army in the world. North mm-hmm. Korea, that's another area where North yeah. Korea actually spends a lot of money. So those four countries, definitely Russia and China, have the ability to take down our national electric grid. Now, the question is, is how much destruction can they cause through cyber? And uh, there's a gentleman named Joe Weiss. He's talked a lot about the SCADA equipment that makes up. It's not so much... The electric utilities really focus on cybersecurity at the peripheral level, right? Uh, keeping people out of the system. But what they don't really plan for is once somebody's in the system, right? And so a lot of the supervisory control, uh, I think it's data acquisition, like these SCADA equipment, they're basically mini computers that tell a factory or a, a, a pump to turn on or off, when to turn on or off. None of this stuff has any kind of security built into it. And so that's a very big threat across our country, both for the pipelines and for our, our electric grid is not so much the computers and the laptops that the people carry around, but the equipment that runs the, 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 the small computers that run the equipment. That stuff needs to be hardened as well. So th- there, my point is, is can they cause how much physical destruction can they cause through cyber we won't know that till the time comes so yes they can they have the ability to take down the national electric grid big nation state players uh how long it will be out it depends so here's the point anything more than a week or two i I don't think you know two three weeks i don't think we come back from because society is going to go so far down the tubes you know how do you go back to driving your priuses to starbucks for a coffee after you've you know killed someone in self-defense or killed somebody to get food. You know what I mean? So once it gets to a certain level of kind of caveman DNA comes back up into the American population, I'm just not sure how easily you pull that back, right? Uh, If you get power on in one state or in one region. So I I definitely think a long-term power outage is possible. The other thing is terrorist organizations, Iran, they may just take down power for a city or a, a region as a warning shot, right? Uh, in fact, when this whole Ukraine situation kicked off, uh, one of Putin's close advisors actually was on their 
one of their networks, one of their TV stations, I read the the transcript and I saw a video on YouTube yeah. where she was basically saying that what she envisions is if our U.S. cyber warfare teams that are in Ukraine helping them, if too much, if they start doing too much stuff in Moscow or in Russia, and that's always been my stance on this, you know, with the Ukraine situation, is I'm not watching what's happening in Ukraine. I'm watching what's happening in Russia. Because if stuff starts blowing up in Russia, they're going to blame us. You know, they're going to blame Ukraine too, but they know we're in there working alongside them. And so she basically made the contention that they would black out Atlanta or Washington, D.C., and that we would black out Moscow, and then they would retaliate. And she basically said that that they have the ability to take down our grid whenever they want. So she was predicting that future as well. Does this apply, um, their ability to take down the grid? Would it apply to our nuclear retaliatory facilities, the ICBMs? Our nuclear triad is uh, is is EMP-hardened uh, across this country. I mm-hmm. mean, we have submarines that are out in the ocean as well. So I, I I do not believe it would take down our nuclear response. But here's the thing about EMP: if if you drive a cargo container or submarine into the Gulf of Mexico and you fire a missile straight up in the air, and there's no we have no missile defenses from anything firing straight up. Our missile defenses are pointed towards the North Pole, not the South, and therefore they're to stop missiles coming over the poles, right? In the Gulf of Mexico, there's nothing going to stop this thing. If they decide to do it, it's going to happen. And they they shoot that missile straight up in the air. That nuclear device, that nuclear weapon, detonates 300 kilometers up in low atmosphere. And um, there's 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 no way to tell what country it came from. That's that's the be- I should say the beauty of this. But that's the again the scary part of this is. You know, if somebody sets off a suitcase bomb or a nuclear weapon on American soil, you know, the day after, probably that day, later that day, they're going to have people in big white suits out there scooping dirt, testing it, finding exactly what country that nuclear material came from. That doesn't happen if it happens up in the atmosphere. We, we, we're just, so the, I guess the point I'm making is nuclear deterrence. Who do you nuke? Right. We can suspect, oh, it was probably Iran. Do we just nuke them? Because we can't fight a war with them. All of our military equipment on on at Conus here is going to be fried. Do we, so what do we do? So I, I don't I don't envision the, the the powers that be behind the scenes. You know, the global community will call it will allow us to react with nuclear weapons because again this. A nuclear EMP is not considered nuclear warfare by any other country. This is important to understand. Here's another key point. This is considered cyber warfare. If they detonate a nuclear bomb at 300 kilometers above the Earth's surface over our country, none of that fallout hits us. There's They don't kill a single person by doing that. In fact, Iran in their uh, war doctrine, one of their statements is it's Sharia compliant. Uh, One of their statements is the fact that Detonate, they don't kill a single peep, a single person in America. We kill ourselves. Our own arrogance and our, you know, dependence on electricity is what kills everybody in this country. So they consider Sharia compliant. Killing, you know, 300 million Americans is Sharia compliant because it's cyber warfare because it just affects electronics. Uh, it does not kill people directly. Well, it's uh, an interesting twist, isn't it? Uh, 
I think the the thing that I really wonder about, though, is there anything that the average person can do to mitigate the dangers? And I know it's a tough question. Yeah. Um, I have a that it's not a tough question. It's a very complicated question. So here's 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 my answer. If you have a lot of money to have to 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 put some food, water, and and have a fallback location in an urban area, uh, you know, in a, Uncle Bob's farm somewhere off the beaten path, your best chance of living is the least amount of human interaction you can have that first year. If you can survive through the death and destruction of the first year and have kind of the life skills needed to survive after the fact, that's your best chance of success. Um, so having a kind of a fallback location and supplies there to, to live as long as possible. I realize that's the average boot collar guy out there. That's, that's not in their realm of things that they're, they're, you know, they're, they're planning for their future. They're putting their kids in college and things like that. So I don't want you to cash in your kids' college fund uh, based off this conversation I've had with Dave and run out and, you know, this is don't operate, don't operate in fear is what I'm getting at. Um, be wise. My biggest recommendation is educate yourself on the threat. Uh, so again, I, I wrote books, survival theory, survival theory two on this yeah, topic. L- let me interrupt you here. I'm going to, I want you to sure. tell the audience how they can get a copy of your book. Uh, a- anywhere books are sold. I mean, you can get it at Barnes and Noble if you want. You can get it ordered through there. Uh, Amazon, Kindle, um, Aud- you can listen to my books on Audible. They're available in, in basically every format. So, uh, survival theory, survival theory two. I've also written a fiction series, but I would definitely start with the, uh, the other two books I just mentioned. You can download that report that I mentioned. Uh, probably the first 40 per- 30% of survival theory two is actually that report i did for the uh, electromagnetic defense task force on the star starvation issue again it's has to do with the psychology and physiology of what happens to the human brain and what happens to the human body i look at a bunch of different uh studies like the minnesota starvation experiment milgram study uh philip zimbardo world-renowned psychologist he's another one uh that i reference in there so yeah you're talking about the J- the prison experiment with Zimbardo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, he's, he has a book called the Lucifer effect also. Yeah. How that's good true. people yeah. aren't evil because of the, the most people think that again, uh, mankind is generally good, right? Mankind is generally, it's just their life experience over the last hundred years with, with laws and police and their life experience in the richest country and most successful country in the world. The fact of the matter is, is man is depraved from birth. Uh, as a Christian, I believe that mankind is uh, the, 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 the amount of evil a human can do to another human being is almost unheard of again. So if you read the Lucifer effect, his, his study is on how like an average farm boy from Omaha can go over to Vietnam, do horrible atrocities, and then come home and live a normal life. He, he did studies on the Nazis and how they could go to a concentration camp and put people into ovens. And then, you know, you find them 20 years later and they're a used car salesman, right? They're, they've got a family and kids, right? How can, how can horrible, horrible things happen? So it's a, it's a fascinating book. Again, Lucifer effect, right. how good people turn evil. Yeah, I'm a former psychology professor, so I'm very familiar. You talked about Milgram, and uh, we get into groupthink and all those issues there. It's mm-hmm. just, uh, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. Um, we're just about out of time, but uh, I want to ask, and I have to have a brief answer on this, and it's probably not a brief answer as appropriate, but we have open border. 
uh, does your work concern uh, the possibility of terrorists coming in who are trained to take down the grid manually? So that would get into the physical attack against the electric grid. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, we, we definitely do look at that. We were just looking at a report on special interest alien apprehensions at the border. Uh, we know that just in the, just in the last two years, yeah. we had over 1600, uh, Pakistanis that were captured at the border. Uh, there are hundreds of Libyans and, uh, I think, Six or seven thousand Afghanis were were captured. Crossed. These are the ones we caught. And if you know anything about the southern border right now, there's a whole lot we're not catching. Right. So I mean, if we caught sixteen hundred uh, Pakistanis the last two years crossing the border, how many are actually here? Right. And well, so I'm not saying every single person from Pakistan uh, or from from Afghanistan or Lebanon where Hamas is or any of these countries. I'm not saying every single person is evil. A lot of them are coming here to work. But even if it's a small percentage of them that were sent here, and if we see, if we, if our eyes tell us the truth, a lot of them are military aged men, right? Yes. Uh, and I think there's as much as a hundred thousand Chinese that have that came across the border here in the last couple of years. And some so, of them have PLA uh, tattoos. I mean, I've been told that by Border Patrol. Absolutely, they're they're so, interdicting yeah, so, Chinese soldiers. Yes. The, the idea that we don't, because of our border security and our porous border on the southern end there, the idea that we don't have sleeper cells from many countries in this country right now waiting to be activated. I mean, I think you'd have to be, I think extremely naive not to, not to understand that fact. And the causation either comes from just unbelievable stupidity or intent. And we'll leave that to the audience to, decide what yes, they sir. will on that issue well jonathan it's been a pleasure having you on first time visitor here to the common sense show certainly i hope it's not your last because there's a lot we left on the table and i look forward to having you back to discuss that happy to come on anytime dave thank you so much thanks jonathan take care we at the common sense show have a great tv show we bring in a panel of experts and help people navigate the uncharted waters that we're living in because what once was coming is no longer coming it's already here and we're getting you the help so you can make better decisions for your future you can find us at the common show.tv commercial free censorship free and we're getting five star ratings on the world's major platforms again check us out today at the common show.tv Every knowledgeable person knows that when you have gold, you've protected your wealth. But what if the government one day wanted to confiscate your gold so they can gain total control, knowing that one day the smoke will clear and gold will be perfectly available, and that's happened all throughout history. So what you need to do is, in the interim, hide your gold. You can do that by burying it. You can go down about 12 inches, and that's all you're going to need to do. And we have a product that we call buryyourgold.com and what it does is it goes into a container you lower it in the ground with a hole you've dug up to 12 inches it's a 50-year warranty on the device it only weighs 17 pounds to pull it out of the ground and you can keep it for safekeeping and i'll tell you this is the way to hide your gold not in false walls but underground will be very very difficult to detect to find out more Go to buryyourgold.com. The product is fully guaranteed with a money-back guarantee.